0: let's begin. Hello and welcome back to the Fertility Warriors podcast. I am very excited today to bring to you a special guest. I said to myself a few months ago that I wanted to really start bringing on guests that I felt would add a lot more value to your journey. And when I think of Warrior and what it means to be a fertility warrior. There are a few people who come to mind. Many of you will know Amy, but also Kiara. But many of you know Amy's story and many of you don't know Kiara's story. Kiara is one of our admins in the fertility warriors support and chat group. And honestly, when I think of a warrior, I think of you, Kiara. Thank and you. You're welcome. That's because you have not just a big story to share that that in everything that you've done I have had I don't know if it's the pleasure but I have been friends with you for a number of years that's a pleasure I've been friends with you (laughs) for a number of years but I have been able to see you I guess from the start of your journey to kind of the end of your journey and throughout the whole thing I have felt like you are an absolute badass Uh thanks Robin. So, I wanted to get you on and I think that, you know, I know people personally who are suffering with cancer as well. I know that this impacts so many of our journeys and, you know, when we epitomise like stressful fucking situations, (laughs) if you had one of those. (laughs) Yeah, just a little, just a little stressful. Yeah. So I wanted to get you on the podcast. I wanted to share, you know, like a little bit of your journey. And I wanted everybody on the podcast to really come away from this feeling like they could take some of what you have, some of like your strength, some of, you know, your habits and rituals and things like that, you know, like the understanding around those journeys, especially for anyone out there whose, I guess, life or journey has been impacted by infertility and cancer, but also for anyone whose journey is impacted by either infertility or cancer. But I wanted to, I guess, start off by asking you a few questions and sort of getting a bit of a timeline from you. So sure. you have been with your partner, let's call him JB, for years and years and years.
1: And when did you get married? So we got married in 2016, so in September. So yeah, we'd been together about six years, I think it was then. So yeah, we've been together nine years now, which is crazy. So yeah, years and years, but also it just feels like it's gone completely quickly. Been together for a long time, but yeah, we've been through some shit. We've been through some stressful stuff along the road. Can you just
0: talk to us about what was going on for you in your life? at the time that you had this bombshell and what was that bombshell for you?
1: Sure. So, yeah, basically John and I were engaged, happily engaged, planning our wedding overseas in France, as you do because, you know, we don't like to do things small around here. So we were right in the middle of wedding planning and actually most of it had been planned. We were kind of looking forward to the last bits and the lead up to the wedding. So, yeah, the wedding was planned for September in March I wasn't feeling so well, so I woke up one morning and had really really intense tummy pains to the point where I was I was doubled over. I really couldn't move. So I was home by myself. I'm not sure where, where John was, but I just thought I need to go to the doctor. this is something's not right. So we'd moved recently. I didn't have a local GP. I had actually already seen a GP about tummy pains in the past. so these pains had been on and off for probably two years. Yeah, so quite a while. And the first GP that I saw said to me, look, it's probably hemorrhoids. There's no way it could be cancer. You're way too young. Because I had been Googling my symptoms, which were tummy pains, and I had blood in my stool. So when I went to the toilet, it was like a dark, kind of almost black blood, So I'd been Googling those symptoms and one of the things that comes up is bowel cancer. So naturally you think, oh, my God, I've got bowel cancer. But the doctor said, you know, no, you're too young, definitely wouldn't be that, go next door to the chemist and get some hemorrhoid cream. So I did that. The pain kind of subsided and then, yeah, two years later, so March 2016, I thought, no, I've got to go and see another doctor. So I jumped onto Health Engine, which is an app in Australia, find all sorts of specialists and GPs, jumped on there booked an appointment with a doctor I'd never heard of before in Woodvale which is about a 15 minute drive from us it wasn't even our closest doctor went and saw him and he was amazing he just said to me this shouldn't have gone on for so long this is unusual let's let's look into it further and he was pretty casual and kind of didn't you know alert me to any danger um, but he said let's let's look into it so he did a urine sample stool sample bloods all of those came back perfectly fine so there was nothing in there that would say I was sick which I was. So
0: when you went to this new doctor in Woodvale Mm -hmm. were you intentionally trying not to go to your usual doctor? Were
1: you like yeah so because we'd moved so we were in Huntingdale before which is a good 40 minute drive from Mm -hmm. where we are now it just didn't make sense to go to that doctor anymore and also yeah I felt like I hadn't really gotten the right answer there so you know two years of tummy pains that can't be hemorrhoids and also the blood um, yeah it just that something didn't feel right so I just thought, I'll go to someone completely fresh
0: and when you went to this new doctor and you were having these appointments were you thinking that it was going to come back as bowel cancer or were you just like uh not hemorrhoids but something else
1: yep not hemorrhoids but something else at no point at that stage was I thinking cancer he didn't mention it He mentioned some other kind of gastro things that it could be, but neither of us were talking the C word at that point. And I only saw him twice. So had all of the tests, went back, and he said, look, there's nothing there. You know, you're having these pains. There's the blood. I'm going to send you off to a a gastroenterologist. So he referred me to someone else which was great because he'd kind of, I suppose, reached the end of his knowledge as a GP, so referred me off to someone else. I saw him and he had a feel around in my tummy and said, yeah, it's definitely a bit inflamed or enlarged in there, so something's going on. But again, he wasn't talking cancer. He thought, again, maybe like a gastro thing, maybe something a little bit more serious than you know, medicine and it's going to go away, but certainly he wasn't talking cancer either so he said look let's do a colonoscopy because that's the best way I can go in and I can actually have a look at what's happening in there so he booked me in for that and I remember leaving that appointment thinking oh no it's going to be something but you know I'm going to have to manage my diet it's going to be a gut thing and oh that's going to be so annoying went back for the colonoscopy so Yeah, got booked in, went into hospital, had the colonoscopy, he completely knocked out. So I didn't realise or or see what he was seeing at the time. And he didn't come to me straight after the colonoscopy to say what he'd seen. So all I knew was done the colonoscopy, got my tea and sandwiches. I was able to eat again. I was happy. (laughs) and i had a follow up appointment booked for i think it was like 2 weeks later or something and the receptionist called me only a couple of days later and said oh look can you know come in a bit earlier can you come in tomorrow so i thought yeah okay we happen to have the day off anyway we were building a house at the time so it was all happening wedding was coming houses you know being planned yeah yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah exactly that's how i am nice and logical nice and neat and tidy yeah. Went in for the appointment. We sat there for probably two hours. He'd saved us to the last appointment of the day, which I didn't, you know, realise at the time. But looking back, you kind of think about these things. And we went in and he just hit me straight with it. He didn't kind of mess around. He just said, Kiara, you have cancer. And those words, even saying them now, they took my breath away. They (laughs) literally just took my breath away and the first thing you go to is fuck am i going to die that's that's yeah. the first thing you know you go to and john was with me thankfully he just went completely white i don't think he kind of said a word for the rest of the appointment but yeah my first question to him was is this going to kill me am i am i going to die and he said I can't tell you for sure, but I don't think you will. Um, But what I do know is you're going to have the fight of your life for the next year. It's not going to be easy. And I've said, we've got a wedding. Our wedding's in six months or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't think you'll be able to go to your wedding being overseas. So all of these thoughts were just spinning around, but I immediately just started thinking of my family. I thought, shit, I've got to I've got to tell my family. I've got to get out of here. I've got, to, I've got to let them know what's going on. It was like I just went into battle mode and, yep, I've got to tick things off the list. I've got to, you know, let my mum know. I've got to let my dad know. I've got to rally everyone. Is John okay? I was kind of thinking about my family more than I was thinking about myself. I think I'd gone into shock probably. Yeah. So he said, look, I've made you an appointment. I've already spoken to a surgeon. And so I've booked you in. If you were my daughter, this is the guy that I'd want looking after you. He was he was amazing. I always kind of think back. He was the one that had to deliver that news, and that kind of been easy for him. I don't think, you know, when a thirty year old woman walks in your door, I don't think you're going to have to. You, at the end of that, you'll be telling them you have cancer. I don't think he was expecting that, and certainly I wasn't expecting that. So yeah, we left there and, and told everyone and I managed to keep it together. I think I was the one that drove home because John was not coping, told all of our family. And then I got into bed at my mum's house because we'd rallied everyone at mum's house and told them there. And once that job was done, I just went to bits and screamed and cried. And John lay next to me and I just said, don't go to sleep until I'm asleep. I need to know that you're, you're there. Yeah.
0: You've, so you've just had the surprise of your life and like how did you feel with your emotions? Did you feel like like, I'm coping with this really well? Did you feel like I'm not coping with this? Did you feel like you need to be stronger or did you feel like you were being really strong? How did it all like fit with you in terms of the emotions? Like you were obviously then thrust into preserving some eggs you know, surgery, a whole bunch of other stuff, how Mm -hmm. did you manage dealing with your shit at the same time as doing the shit?
1: I felt like I was being strong. So I think on your first question, I felt like I was being strong, but in my mind I had things to do. So, you know, I had to let work. know I had to sort that out. I had to book appointments. I had to, yeah, think about my fertility. So it was all kind of coming at me. And I think what kept me busy was doing all of those things. Mm. I don't recall in those early days feeling overwhelmed. It was just like, right, I've got to get this done. This is the card that I've been dealt. I've just got to get this done. But then eventually I think you know, once that initial part was over, and actually, we then, yep, we had to do fertility treatment. So we they called it an emergency egg retrieval, and it was literally kind of. Once I found out I had to do chemotherapy, the next day saw a fertility clinic, and the next day after that, needle started. So it was just lucky I was in the right point in my cycle. Everything happened so quickly; I didn't have time to think about it. But then everything stopped, and it was okay. We're in the cycle now, and yes, you've got appointments, but all of a sudden there were things happening. So obviously you're having your scans and you're finding out how many follicles there are and there's less follicles and less follicles. And all of a sudden the disappointments were really starting to hit. And I think that's when things got difficult for me. It was I was kind of confronted with, yes, I've got cancer, but that was almost on the back burner for me in terms of emotions. The thing that was scaring me the most was I might not be able to have babies. So an oncologist sat me down and said, oh, yeah, after, you know, the treatment, you'll be barren. And it was <gasps> like, sorry, what? Firstly, that word is just the yeah. worst choice of words there. Secondly, that on so, the... what, the Handmaid's Tale? Like... Oh, I haven't watched it. No, neither.
0: I've had anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that. Anyway.
1: I know. It was terrible. And literally, that appointment, at the same time, my sister was in labour with her first baby. So I'd left the hospital where she was... In labor to go see this oncologist to get the news, yep, yeah, you'll be barren, and it was like this is this is a lot to deal with, so yeah, I think people talk about the stress of cancer versus the stress of infertility, and actually they can be quite similar, and I think that's true. I think nothing prepares you for you know having to deal with your own immortality and thinking about death and that side of things that is different. In terms of emotion, but the stress of cancer and infertility, the stress of infertility was worse for me than cancer. The thought of not being able to have a baby would really scared the crap out of me. So I think it was then that I started focusing less on my family and starting to be a bit more selfish. I had to there was there was no other way through but to think about myself i mean eventually on the chemo, I was really sick, so I didn't really have much choice but to to focus on myself and those immediate needs. you know I had to make sure I was eating because that was difficult I had to make sure I was drinking water that was difficult it was difficult to swallow it was difficult to walk that was all tough but once I was through the the chemo and then starting to think again about fertility and and what was going to happen there. I had to start doing nice things for myself, I had to start, you know, thinking about what my needs were. And it, it was just lots of little things at the time, like stopping at a cafe and having a, a juice on the way home from a scan or writing in a journal or, or whatever it was, just those small little things to make me happy, to have little, you know, positive lights, I suppose, in the, in the day. So let's
0: just skip ahead for a bit. So mm-hmm. you are a badass. You're in Mm -hmm. remission now, so you've kind of like crossed that hurdle. You're like, fuck, I'm not going to (laughs) die, yeah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is great. So then you get married and did you feel the pressure then based on your bowel cancer journey to have babies, like to try and get this happening quick smart?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. The pressure was well and truly on. Bear in mind four out of my five bridesmaids were all pregnant, so there was like freaking babies just around everywhere and I think for anyone you know everyone feels the same once you start IVF or once you can't have babies or whatever it might be once you're struggling then everyone around you is just falling pregnant so the pressure was already there but yeah absolutely it was even worse because post-cancer my egg count had dropped so you know my levels weren't great they weren't terrible but they weren't great so the pressure was there I was, you know, early 30s, so everyone's already saying to you, even pre-cancer, when are you gonna start having babies? And yeah, you're married now, so you know, you better get on with it. And it just wasn't that easy for us. You later discovered on your journey that you also yep. had male factor issue.
0: Yep. But prior to that, did you feel any guilt about the fact that, you know, like this might not happen? For me, you know, I get a lot of people ask me, like, what do I do when I have the guilt when it's female factor infertility? Did you have that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I remember crying one night and, and saying to John, I might not be able to give you children. Like, this is just the thought of him not getting to be a father was almost worse than the thought of me not getting to be a mother. And I absolutely felt guilty. And I don't think there was no kind of one way to deal with that. I think we really we work well as a team. We are, you know, we're a really good team. So I think we really have to just focus on the fact that we're both in this. It's, you know, it's not just me, no matter who, there's never anyone at fault. So, you know, I hate when people say, Oh, it's the, the woman's fault or it's a man's fault. There there is no fault in this game. we just dealt whatever cards were dealt and we've got to, you know, deal with those, whether you're a single, you know, mum, single dad or, or you're you're married or or whatever you are you've got to deal with it whatever, whatever your team is so yes I definitely felt guilty but at no point did John hold that against me and I shared those feelings with him I think you know that's one of the best things you can do is be honest about it and talk about it
0: yeah I totally agree and I think yeah you need to look at things like it's us against the problem rather than like I've got this problem what's he thinking and You know, I'm a big fan, like if you keep all your feelings in and things like that, if you let this guilt eat you alive inside, you don't communicate that, then it's just gonna build and build and build and build. I suppose the only way that you can, you know, try to diminish some of those feelings is by getting real with them and letting them out and trying to rationalise
1: them in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're going through something like stress anything stressful as you said the best thing is just to start talking because once you do and also to start asking for help if you need it because once you do then the help is there you know help is is everywhere and everyone wants to help you they might not always do it in the right ways but everyone wants to help you and I think you know I messaged yourself because I knew you'd been through IVF and once I started talking about it normalizing it a little bit with people that understood then yeah that was the best thing I could do. Yeah, so you definitely advocate coming out of the closet? Yeah, I think there's a a time and a place, and it's different for everyone. So I suppose for me in the early days, I tried to just keep my feelings to myself. Not with people that understood, like yourself, for example, or other people I knew that might have gone through it, but with friends who I thought wouldn't get it, or with family who, you know, hadn't been through the same thing or wouldn't get it. I really tried to keep it to myself. But eventually I remember one Christmas day. It all came out and I'd had a few you know, champagne, so that was probably helping things, but I just stopped trying to pretend. I just thought, this is too hard. This is actually too hard to pretend. It's too hard to try and hide you know, my feelings away. So I just cried in front of everyone and I was honest about how I was feeling because it was Christmas. I didn't have a baby. You know, I was married in my 30s. I thought everything was going to work out much different to the way it was working out. And I was sad. So I just allowed myself to be sad. And I think it did get easier after that because then people, you know, got the fact that I was sad. They might not completely understand the exact emotions. But everyone gets, you know, sadness. Everyone gets fear. I think once you start talking about that, people, people can relate.
0: And you were going through some shit, like, uh, yeah, just so a that shit. I think it was okay to have some champagnes and cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that can be our motto. Just Sometimes you just want to have some champagnes and cry. And that's <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. A note to everyone listening to the podcast today, Kiara and I give you permission to have some champagnes and have a cry. <laughs> so how does your life or daily rituals or mindset look different now than it did before you know you've been through this shitstorm.
1: I can't even remember like I know it sounds cliche but I literally cannot remember the person I was before this I know I was a lot more innocent yeah yeah because I remember thinking oh on our wedding night we'll start trying and blah 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 and like we'll just fall pregnant right no that's that's not how it works well maybe it does for some people that's (laughs) not how it works for most of us so I just I can't remember that person but since I think I am much more self-aware when when I'm not feeling great. So, you know, if my head's not in the game or my head's not feeling right, I'm really quick at picking that up and really quick at doing something about it. So I don't let myself kind of, you know, go too far into the tunnel. I mean, everyone's allowed to cry. Everyone's allowed to crumble sometimes. I think I can be a bit of a positive poly, but that doesn't mean I don't, you know, have my nights where I have a champagne cry on the couch because you need those, but I think I'm much better now at knowing what I need. So, whether that's, you know, getting in the bath and having 20 minutes there and logging off as social media and lighting a candle and putting a bath bomb and, and whatever else, or getting outside, I think sometimes just getting outside and having some fresh air is the best thing that you can do for yourself. Or, yeah, giving someone a call and and talking to them, whatever it might be. I'm much better now at recognising what I need um, and doing something about it so that I don't, yeah, don't fall into a spiralist.
0: When I was, I guess, sort of sitting on the sidelines and watching you go through your journey, I always really admired how kind of calm you were, whereas, you know, at the beginning of my journey, I had a lot of this frantic, anxious energy. I was looking for the magic bullets, like you know, if Google tells me that I need to have a little bit of pineapple, like pineapple cores, and this particular time in my cycle, okay, there's gotta be some magic bullet out there. And I talk a lot now about how, you know, like magic bullets and perfection don't exist, but I always really admired how calm and how
1: rational you were, you know, on your big journey. What do you sort of attribute that to? I think some of that is naturally how I am as a person. I think I do actually just work best under pressure. So as I said, when I found out that I had cancer, it was almost like, okay, we just got to get this done. So we got to go step by step. And I think initially I was probably trying to do everything at once, but eventually it did reach a point where it was, okay, I cannot do all of this. We are literally going to have to take this one day, sometimes just one minute at a time. So what do I need to do next? And I think I'm quite a logical you know, let's break it down. What do we need to do here? Okay, it's 10 steps. Let's just focus on step one. And once we've got that done, we're going to focus on step two. And I think infertility can be such a long journey that it's easy to, you know, everyone looks ahead. Everyone's trying to think, when am I going to have that baby? You know, when am I going to get to the finish line? And for most of us, we just don't know when that's going to be. I think it's important to think about how much can I deal with? And I think maybe you had asked me that, how much you know what's the what's the finish line for me here? Can I, you know, hack five years? Is it I absolutely need to have a baby of my own, or would I look at adoption? So it's quite important, I suppose, to set boundaries for yourself. And for me, there there weren't boundaries. For me it was I am in this until we have our baby. And maybe I would have reassessed that, you know, if it had, had taken ten years or twenty years, you have to reassess. But for me it was no, I'm in this to the finish line. So I think, like I said, some of it is just naturally me, but I'm quite a logical, yep, let's just break this down one step at a time here. And of course, I was thinking ahead to, to, am I going to be able to have a baby? Is all of that going to be possible? But for me, all I could control in that moment was getting myself well, and then keeping myself well, and then what could I do to help the result? So, for me, that was you know I went to acupuncture and I saw a naturopath and started taking vitamins and cut out alcohol and you know did all the the things you're supposed to do, all of the right things, but they were the things that were in my control. Everything else was was pretty much outside of my control, and I had to trust that I had the right team around me, which I felt that I did. you know I had the right surgeon, for cancer, I had the right oncologist for chemo, I had the right fertility doctor for that journey so it was making sure the team around me was right and then all I could do was control my head my thoughts and then my health I suppose. Beautiful and
0: did you ever have this is my last question before the speed round Mm -hmm. did you ever have like moments where you were like you know what like whether it was you know this is a serious diagnosis I'm not sure that I'm gonna live (laughs) which is like see when I say it that seems so drastic, but that was potentially the circumstance. Or, you know, there's actually a real chance that I might not fall pregnant and have a child. Did you ever have those feelings? And how did you wrestle those feelings?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. On both counts I had those feelings. You know, I was diagnosed stage three, so it was it was serious. It was like one more step and yeah things aren't looking great not to say you know stage four you can absolutely fight and survive that as well and I know lots of people who have and who are but yeah I was literally you you may die you you have to do chemo because if you don't you may die and that was I don't even know how you do deal with those feelings because it's it's almost impossible I think I had to focus on the opposite so I want to live not you know stopping stopping myself from dying all I could focus on was I want to live and I want to live because I love my fiance and then husband and because I love my family and I had to focus on the good things in my life and like I said focus on the things that I could control because thinking about something as big as that it's it's too much you you almost can't deal with that I did allow myself to you know cry and scream and and do all of those things but I think focusing yeah, on on what it was that I wanted, which was to live, was was all I could do.
0: Beautiful mantra to sort of have is, you know,
1: like I want to live. Like this yeah. is important to me. Absolutely. And then on the other side of it, the the not having children, that weirdly, that again was even harder. It was almost like infertility was more stressful for me, and the thought of not having a baby was more stressful for me than the thought of not surviving, which is silly. Because absolutely you can survive, you know, without without a baby and still go on to have a, a really happy life. And I think for me, it was I just needed to focus on what I wanted, which was I did want a baby. And eventually I would have to reassess if that wasn't going to happen. And you know what? My husband and I, you know, had travels together and all sorts of other things together that if the baby road didn't work out, we would be over in France or over in Italy or whatever else, you know, making our life that way.
0: Oh, Such beautiful words. I feel like I could make quotes out of so much of what you've said today. I think Mm. it's time for our speed round. Sure, hit me. All right, what's for dinner tonight?
1: We are going out for dinner. So with my
0: mother-in-law, hallelujah, no one has
1: to cook around here, which is fabulous. What is a book you think everyone needs to read? So I've recently read The Happiness Trap, and actually I read that um, when I was going through chemo as well. So it's it's not too long. It's just got a few exercises around getting your head in the game and, yeah, keeping your mind, mind straight.
0: What was the best way that someone sort of showed you that they were supporting you on your journey?
1: There were lots of things, but to me it was the little things. Um, I think food is truly the best thing you can do for anyone no matter what the situation is. Leaf food on their doorstep you know find out what they're eating Leaf food on their doorstep Um, a girlfriend also left a, a plant she didn't yeah kind of bother us or anything she just left the plant with a little card to say that she was thinking of us and that was was lovely and there was also a girlfriend who used to drive me um I used to so the chemo was infused at home and then i have to go in and, and drop the bottle off and get that all disconnected. And she used to just drive me. She had a little baby, but she used to pack the baby in the car and drive me to and from those appointments. And it was just those little things that, you know, I could go on about my team because my husband and my mom and everyone were just freaking amazing. But, yeah, often it's just the little things. Sometimes people don't even want to talk. They just want a meal or they want a plan or they want you to show that you care.
0: And my last one, if you could shake people and scream something at them, what would it be?
1: (laughs) So for me, it would be don't tell me to stay positive because even though I'm positive poly and a lot of people will say to me, oh, you're so positive and you're so strong or whatever else, hearing stay positive in my journey was a real pain in my ass. I think every single person I came across said to me, you just need to stay positive. And honestly, I could have screamed at them and, clap them in the face because I was staying positive but yeah I didn't need to hear that from everyone else
0: nice thank you so much for joining us ah thanks for having me you are hi to
1: all the warriors because normally we're just kind of you know keyboard warriors but it's nice to actually say hi yeah and share a bit more of my journey with everyone
0: yeah, and I hope everyone you know can get to know us there is a little bit more to us than you know just approving and things like that people in <laughs> the facility where support and chat group um, and if any of you out there listening are part of the group I would love it if you could give a little bit of a shout out to Kiara for sharing her story with us because uh, I know that it takes guts to go out there and speak to me on the podcast and you know share with me when I like dive deep into all of your feelings. So thank you so much and have a wonderful day, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Fertility Warriors podcast with me, your host, Robin Birkin. If you'd like more tools, resources, and courses to help you survive your journey, please head to robinburkin.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it with others. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.